God bless you today. I hope you've enjoyed worship, and I'm encouraging you uh, as we are in this time of being separated to go and listen to the worship first. Worship prepares us for the Word. Uh, We're going to get into the Word in just a second here. Uh, We miss all of you, and we are uh, looking forward to the time when we can be together again, but God continues to speak to us. I'm still in this series at a first uh, at a first Kings here with Elisha. And uh, this is a powerful message here. I know it's going to minister to you. So let's thank God for the word. And then I'm going to jump right in. Father, we thank you today that the word is alive and quick and it's relevant to us, Lord. And I pray that in this time where uh, we have a lot of uh, extra time and our routines have been disrupted, Father, I pray that the word would take its place in all of our lives. And Father, this morning as we look to 1 Kings here and we look at what you did with your servant Elijah, I pray that it would be relevant to us and it would challenge us and that we would walk away encouraged. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 1 Kings here. We're dealing with Elijah. We know that he is on the run from Ahab and Jezebel. He is in a crisis. And the title of this message series has been Finding God's Provision in Times of Crisis. This is part five here. He's already on the run. He's delivered the word of the Lord. What was it? There's going to be no rain until God's going to close everything up. God's going to not have rain, not have dew. And so uh, there is a crisis in the land. There's famine in the land. Uh, He has had to run and hide by the brook Cherith, and he was fed there by ravens, and he drank from the brook. Then he moves again, and we we see so many things shifting here. Elisha goes from a a short-term crisis, being fed by the ravens, into a long-term crisis. Then he moves, and he goes to a widow, and the widow is to be his provider, and when he gets there, he finds out the widow has no bread. We call her NBL, the no bread lady. So he's there and he finds God's provision even where there's lack. Uh, this time in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 17 to 24 to you. And we're going to see that the situation changes again. There's another shift. We went from a short-term crisis to a long-term crisis. Now we go into a season where there's calamity within crisis. And just an, an incredible situation here. Listen to 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath in him. So she said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him to the upper room where the woman was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Then the woman said 
to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it's true. What a powerful story here. And you see what's happening in the midst of crisis. We went from short term to long term. Now there's calamity in the midst of crisis. I don't know what you're going through right now, but individually, all of us have challenges during this time. Some people have lost family members. Some people have lost their jobs. Whatever the situation is, if you're experiencing calamity within crisis, this message is to encourage you. There's an old expression that says, things can always be worse. Have you heard that before? You know, maybe people say that to you, you know, when you, you start uh, getting a little uneasy and anxious or maybe complaining, and they say, you know what, don't complain because things can always be worse. Do you know why that expression has stood the test of time? Because it's true. And if we're honest, no matter what we're going through, things could always get worse. You know, it's the proverbial out of the frying pan and into the fire. So you and I need to learn to be thankful and choose not to complain about little inconveniences and show some wisdom and show some maturity because as tough as things get, it can always get worse. Now, many of us don't like to think about that and think, well, you know, God, I want an easy life. I want a life of ease. I want everything to go my way. But those of us who've walked with the Lord for any length of time know that that is not the way life is. Sometimes things are bad. Sometimes they get worse. Uh, and in all these things, we need to learn to be content, as Paul showed us. Now, let's go to the text, and we're going to go through it play by play and take a look at, you know, what God is up to in this situation, because this is, a, this is a, a model for us as God teaches us how to endure uh, crisis, how to endure calamity, how to find his provision, even in really tough situations, when things go from bad to worse and crisis turns into calamity, when people are stressed out and they're already weakened and shaken, and then we see things just, you know, hit them with devastation, it can be pretty hard to watch situations like that. Many of us have seen people go through some things that as we watch them, we thought, I don't know if I could make it through that. And the grace of God is always there for us. His provision is always there for us in crisis. So if you're in crisis and you're dealing with calamity, whatever the situation is, your God is more than enough to get you through. Let's see what God does here in this situation and what he's up to. The first thing I want to point out is from verse 17. Listen to verse 17 again. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So what has just happened here? The woman has lost her son. The, the one thing that was precious to her, the one thing that she wanted to protect was taken from her. Now, uh, the point of what I want to draw out here is this. Sometimes we make all the right choices and still get wrong results. I want you to listen to this. Sometimes, now there are many times in life where we know we didn't do it right. But there's some times in life where we know we've made the right choices and we've said yes to God and we've been obedient. We make all the right choices and we still get the wrong result. Let's recap this widow's right choices here because she is an amazing woman in the sense where this prophet comes out of nowhere and, you know, he kind of 
puts a burden on her, and she makes choices here, one after another. In the other parts of this sermon series, I've covered them, but she makes right choices. Let's look at what she does. Number one, the man of God comes out of nowhere. He, he says, you know, give me something to drink, give me something to eat, and she takes in the prophet during a time of famine, and she receives him. That is a right choice. That's the first thing she did right. Then she believes the word of the Lord that came through Elijah. He says, feed me some of what's in your hand. She had a fistful of flour and a little bit of oil. He says, feed me first, put God first, and then make some for you and your son. And you know what? She makes the right choice, and she does that. Then God keeps his word to her, and she sees miracles with her own eyes. The flour doesn't run out. The oil doesn't run out. This woman has done everything she was asked to do. She didn't falter. She didn't make a wrong choice. She didn't say no to the Lord. She watched miracles with her own eyes. And then, after all the right choices, she gets the worst possible result. Now in her arms, she holds her only son, and he's dead. What do we do in situations like this? What do we say to people who go through things like this when you know you've done the right things and you're serving the lord and you're you're trusting in god and and you made the right choices but you have a wrong result listen i want to say something to you don't ever let your present situation trick you into thinking that god has dropped the ball on you don't ever let your present circumstances deceive you into thinking that god has abandoned you Because the present situation is only one part of the story. The chapter is not finished yet. And I want to give you a quote that maybe some of you know and maybe some of you don't. But the great uh, professor Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. And I want to say to you that, you know, that statement there might be, you know, very poor English. He kind of mangles the English language. It ain't over till it's over. But it might be a poor use of English, but it is a true statement, especially in sports. If you played any kind of sports, you know you got to be in it the whole entire way, from the first pitch to the last out. Anything can happen. If you've watched sports, you know at the final buzzer, things can change. There can be overtime. There can be, uh, you know, a situation that can change, and that's what Yogi was saying. It ain't over till it's over. While that's true in sports, it's also true in life. And your present circumstance, your present situation is just one frame, one snippet in the whole entirety of our lives. And we can't allow that one situation to make us think that God has been unfaithful to us. She held a dead son in her hand, and to her, it seemed over, but it wasn't over yet. God was still in the situation, and things were about to change for her, but all she could see was the lifeless child in her arms. Things go from hard to worse. Things uh, get tough at times in life. There's no guarantee. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. There's trouble for us at times. Things go from bad to worse. But the final chapter of our lives has already been written. Listen, and you've heard this before, but I want to say it again. I read the back of the book, and we win. The final chapter of our lives has been written. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Those of us who belong 
to Jesus Christ, we can't lose. Live or die, we belong to the Lord. It ain't over till it's over. Now listen, many people listening to this message right now, maybe you're holding some dead things in your arms right now. Maybe, you know, you have this sense where, you know, my career is dead. My finances are destroyed. My dreams, my my future, my business. There's many small business owners that are just, they, they don't understand even what how, how the path to recovery could actually take place. But listen to me, it ain't over till it's over. If you belong to God and you put him first and you trust in him, I don't care if it looks dead. I don't care if it's not breathing. I don't care if you can't see how it's going to be brought back to life. God can do the amazing. Come on out there this morning. We've got to have faith. You get what you believe for. Well, I don't believe that can happen. Is that what you believe about God? I serve a God who can do miracles. And he brings dead things back to life. So it ain't over till it's over. The second thing I want to point out in this text is this. What's God up to? Look at the widow's response to calamity. The widow's response to this calamity is the classic human response. We get to see her express things in the statement that she makes to the prophet. And I want to tell you what she says is exactly how people feel when they go through calamity and crisis. Verse 18, listen to her words. She said to Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to bring my iniquity to remembrance. Listen to that. And to put my son to death. Whoa, that's a little bit of a shift in the, the pleasantries of their relationship there. She's, she's unfiltered at this point. Those comments are unvarnished. She just kind of expresses the devastation of her heart. Look what she says. The first thing she says, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? Now, let me tell you what's uh, impregnated in that sentence there. Basically, what she's saying is, look, look, prophet, look, man of God, I know that God is with you, but at this point, I don't feel like God is with me. I don't feel like God is for me. In fact, I can see that you have a connection to God and God provides for you, but I don't feel that connection right now. And this is the first response that people make when uh, calamity hits and crisis hits in their life. They feel disconnected from God. That's a very real human response. When things don't go our way to feel like, well, God, God is for everybody else. God is with everybody else. God is good to everybody else but not me. Have you ever felt like that? The enemy loves to make us feel like that. And she says, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? Yeah, you and God are good. Me and God, he's obviously not with me. And she goes on to say this, you have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance. What is she saying there? She's saying, look, I'm a sinner. And guess what? My sin must have just caught up with me. Don't miss what's in the text there. Don't read through it so fast. It, it, it's alive, and, and there's, there's an expression there. She's saying, you, you've come to bring my iniquity to remembrance. What is that? She's saying, my sin must have obviously caught up with me. You're a prophet. You're holy. God is with you. I feel disconnected, and I must, you know, this must be the result of my iniquity. My sin has finally caught up with me. When we go through trouble, when we go through hardship, when we suffer loss, when we experience financial setback, how many times do we think, oh, this is just, you know, my sin catching up with me? And the truth is, if we belong to God and we are 
connected to him through Christ, our sins are forgiven. If we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive our sin, and all those sins are erased and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, but the enemy has a way of making us feel like when things go wrong, oh, it's just because of your sin. It's just because of that thing you did 10 years ago. It's because of that decision you made when you were a teenager, and somehow, some way, it finally caught up with you. Boy, the devil's a liar. He tries to make us feel disconnected from God. He tries to make us feel like uh, our sin is finally caught up with me. You bring my iniquity to remembrance. That's what she's saying. I, I'm a sinner. And obviously, this must be, this, this bad situation must be the result of my past. Wow. The third component of her response here, that is the classic human response, is this. She says what? You have come to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. Wow. What is he saying? I feel disconnected from God. I feel like my sin is caught up with me. And number three, the third part of the response is God is punishing me. Every time we go through something, the enemy right away tries to convince us God's punishing you. God's punishing you for your sin. God's punishing you for what you haven't done. God, listen, we, he loves to paint the picture of God that God is just waiting for us to step out of line so he can punish us. God is not a punisher. God is a lover of our souls, amen? He didn't send Jesus Christ to punish us. He didn't send Jesus Christ to condemn us. He sent Jesus so that the world might be saved. Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. If it was intention just to punish us every time we stepped out of line, none of us would even be here right now. This woman had a wrong understanding of God. In many ways, it's not her fault because she's new to this stuff. But she, her expression here is that God's not with me. My sin caught up for me, and I'm being punished. You have come to put my son to death. Wow. Believing all of those things that this woman just expressed, when we go through calamity and crisis, we'll do one thing for sure. It will harden our hearts towards God. We have to not believe these things that the enemy would try and tell us when we go through difficult situations. God is with us. God does love us. Our sins are forgiven by the blood of the lamb. God is not a punisher. He is a blesser. He didn't come to destroy us. He came to save us. We can't believe the lies here. <laughs> and it's easy for us to say that because we're not holding what was precious to us dead in our arms. But for this woman, that was her response. If she would have ended with that response, it would have hardened her heart. If we repent of our sin and ask forgiveness of our sin, then our sins are erased and God remembers them no more. Remember, we do have to repent. We do have to confess, amen? We do have to do that. But once we've done that, we need to believe the word of God that, that says we're forgiven and he remembers our sin no more, amen? And so choose not to allow these things to harden your heart at this moment, but choose to believe in the goodness of God. The woman's response was the classic human response, but it's not the right response. The right response is to believe the word of God and to trust in the goodness of God. And no matter what the snapshot of our life looks like right now, it ain't over till it's over. Number three, the third thing I wanna point out to you here is contained in verses 19 through 20. 
the, the man of God hears what she says. He doesn't chastise her. He doesn't get into a theological debate with her. He doesn't tell her, you're wrong. You don't know. He just says this in verse 19. He said to her, give me your son. Look at that. <laughs> I understand you got a problem here, lady, and, and I want you to give me your son. There again, this woman has a decision to make. She could have said, no, don't touch me. Get away from me. Get out of here. Let's be honest. The prophet says, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. Verse 20, he called to the Lord and said, oh Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? So he, he cries out to the Lord on her behalf. So what the, the thing I wanna point out here in these two verses is here's a pro tip for all of us. When we need help, ask for help. Amen? It's pride that causes us to, you know, try and solve issues ourselves and not ask for help. When we need help, ask for help. It's amazing to me as a pastor in decades of ministry to see how many people will only ask for God's help once they've exhausted every other outlet and it hasn't helped. You know, sometimes I think God just must be laughing at us up there. When we get to heaven, we're going to watch the things we've done on the big screen in heaven, and we're all going to laugh because, you know what, we need help, but we don't ask for help. And we have got to come to the place where we ask for help. This poor widow needed help, and there's two reasons why she needed help. Number one, she's at best a baby believer. She's at best, you know, she's just getting uh, you know, in the mix here of, of seeing the things of God. Uh, she had no ability to understand why this was happening to her. Think about that. She doesn't know. I, I think I did everything right. I was agreeable to the word of the Lord. I took this guy in, yet I've had the wrong result. And now my conclusion is that God's not with me. My sin has uh, found me out, and I'm being punished. She did not understand her situation. Uh, number two, she had no recourse or spiritual leverage to address her calamity. What could she do? She didn't have the type of relationship with God that Elijah had that she could get right into his presence and call out to him and hear the answer of the Lord. She, she was a baby, and so she needed help. Now, what this widow really needed at this moment was an advocate. If you've taken notes today, I encourage you to write that down. She needed an advocate to intervene on her behalf. An advocate does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Listen to 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Now, that word advocate there, it's the Greek word parakletos, and it means one who's called alongside to help as an intercessor. So Jesus is our advocate, parakletos. He's called to come alongside of us. What? When we need help. To do what? What we can't do for ourselves. He's the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied the law on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. Come on, you and I have an advocate in Jesus Christ. 
This woman needed help. This woman needed an advocate. And Elisha steps up to be an advocate for her. Look what he does. He doesn't say, hey, lady, that's your problem. I'm a prophet. I got other problems. Go bury your son. I don't know what to tell you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, give me your son. He takes her problem right out of her hands and makes her problem his problem. He functions as an advocate. And then what does he do? He, he gets into the presence of God and he advocates for her. Look, look what he says here. I mean, he basically, he calls to the Lord and says, oh Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow who I'm staying with by causing her son to die? So he, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. He, he, he says it like it is. In the modern vernacular, it'd be like, God, are you kidding me? God, this woman has done everything you've asked her to do. How can this be the reward for that? How can this be the result? God, you got to do something here. He advocates for her. Do you see that's what Jesus does for us? He stands in the gap. He gets in the place of prayer. He got on the cross. He went in the tomb. He rose from the dead. Why? To advocate for us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. This woman needed an advocate. Elisha stepped up to advocate for her. You and I have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Whatever we're holding in our hands that seems dead to us, give it to Jesus. Give it over to him. Now, have faith of what he'll do. Look what Jesus has already done for us. Do you think he brought us this far to let us fail? Do you think, come on, I'm, I, I'm talking, I want a response. Do you think he brought us this far to let us fail, to let us falter, to let the enemy overtake us? No, he's invested way too much in me and way too much in you. He will keep us by his power. He said, I have not lost one that the father has put into my hands and he hasn't and he won't. He's our advocate. Look what he's done for us and trust in the future what he'll do for us. If you belong to him, he's gonna take good care of you. If you don't belong to him, I want you to give your life to Jesus. I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this message. But listen to me, we can trust him if we'll give our hearts to him and we'll put him first, even in crisis, if calamity hits, God is bigger than what we hold in our hands that seems dead. Number four, we should never forget that nothing is impossible for God. You see, a lot of things are impossible for us. And we somehow take those limitations and we ascribe them to God. Well, if we can't do this, or if we can't understand this, or if we can't reverse this, or we can't see a way out of this, then how's God going to do it? <laughs> you see, that's a foolish way to think about God. God is much bigger. God is all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. All the attributes of God. God can do the things that we can't even dream of doing. And when we belong to him, he advocates for us. God, God's ways are not our ways. He routinely does the impossible. You know what? And when God does the impossible for us, he doesn't generally do it the way we think he should or would. A lot of times when God does the impossible, it seems a little strange to us. In fact, look at the text here, verse 21 and 22. Then he stretched himself 
upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. The, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived. So let's rewind a second there. What just happened here? He brings the kid up. He's lifeless. He puts him on his bed. And then it says he stretched himself out upon him three times. What? Anybody? Anybody want to call CPS at this point? That's a little weird, people. You say, when God does things, sometimes it's weird. I, I remember in the New Testament, Jesus spitting in the, in the dirt and making mud and wiping it on a blind person's eyes so that they could see again. You say, why does God do stuff like that? You, you bring them up, you stretch yourself out on them. I, I don't even know what to think about that. It is a little weird. God does things sometimes. It doesn't make sense to us in the natural. That's why people who only want to accept the God that they can comprehend with their minds will, will always be lacking in a relationship with him because there, there are some things about God that just require faith and not the intellect. We should never forget that nothing is impossible for God. You know, and look what he says here. I, I love the, the way he approaches this. He, he doesn't beat around the bush in prayer. He just says to the Lord, let the child's life return to him. Did you hear that? Come on, you're a prophet. You prophesy the word of the Lord comes through your mouth. That was the best prayer you can come up with? Yeah, I love it. It's just terse and it's pithy and it's right to the point there. He, he just says, let the child's life return to him. Listen, there are some times where we just need to approach God with simple faith, with simple words, with simple prayers, amen? These bloviated prayers, these prayers where, you know, we use, we use words we barely understand or we, we use big words that don't belong next to each other in a sentence. Come on, that doesn't impress God. He, he just gets right to the, the point. Now, beating around the bush in prayer because we're not bold enough to ask God for what we really want is not spiritual. It's just annoying. Stop doing it, amen? Just be real with God. Let the child's life return to him. And, and you know what? James 4.2 says this, you have not because you ask not. We need to ask God for what we need. God, I, I need my health restored. God, I, I need my finances blessed. God, I need your blessing on my business so that it can recoup. God, I need you to put my family fractures together. God, I need you to heal my marriage. God, I need you to touch my children. Come on, whatever you need, just ask him because nothing is impossible for him. We have not because we ask not. Verse 22 is beautiful. I love it. Elisha asked God with a simple prayer. God hears him and the boy is revived. Verse 22 is beautiful. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he was revived. This is the best case scenario. We pray, God hears, and he answers the prayer. Listen, we have an advocate with the Father whose name is Jesus. We have someone who can get the ear of the Father when we pray, when Jesus stands in the gap for us, and we have someone who can bring the result that we need if we'll just ask. Never forget, God does the impossible routinely. When we need help, we should just 
ask for it. Whatever you need to, God to do in your situation, in your calamity, in your crisis, begin to ask him. Forget about the religiosity. Forget about the vain repetitions of prayer. Forget about beating around the bush. Just come with simple faith, with a simple request, and watch God move on your behalf. Number five, the, the last thing that I want us to see in this situation here is this. Big problems allow us to see big miracles. Have you ever read the scripture and seen what some of the, uh, the exploits that the people of God have done throughout history and think, boy, I wish I could be involved in that. But many people have said, well, I wish I could have lived during that time or I wish I could have. Listen, God still does miracles. And he still does big things, but sometimes we have to go through big problems to see big miracles. <laughs> now it's quiet. And none of us, well, you know what? Maybe I'll go with less miracles and just, you know, avoid the big problems. The thing is, most of us would choose that, but God wants to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ to build faith in us and to make us mature as believers. So many times we go through crisis. Many times we go through calamity. Many times we hold dead things in our arms and we have no recourse and don't understand why, but we have that advocate in Jesus Christ. Now, if we want to see big miracles, we need to go through some big situations with big problems. This woman went through it. She made right decisions. And there are three miracles that happen here for her, and they're, they're really personal to her. And in, I just want to describe them to you. And you might not have even notice them, but in verse 23 and 24, she again expresses her heart. Remember the last time she did, she's like, oh, man of God, what do I have to do with you? She, she, that was raw. And listen to this expression after her son is returned to her alive. And Elisha took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elisha said, see, your son is alive. What a great moment. Verse 24 is her response. Then the woman said to Elisha, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So there are three things that she finally got here that clicked for her. It might even sound strange here for her to say that now you know he's a man of God. This was the guy who came to you, who prophesied to you. You know, that jar of flour has been filling up every day, lady. That was a miracle. That oil hasn't run out. You've already seen miracles. But you still had doubts about Elisha? Yet after her son has raised back to life, things change, and that's a miracle. Why? Because when God convinces us and we finally believe and our hearts are forever changed, that's a miracle. Many times the greatest miracle is not a healed body or, you know, a healed disease. We, we focus so much on the, the outer man and the temporal man. These bodies are not going to last forever. The greatest miracle is a changed heart. The greatest miracle is a changed life. The greatest miracle who is one who doesn't believe and now does believe and, and they're, they're translated from darkness into light. I say it all the time. Salvation is the greatest miracle that God would take lost people and make them found. Amen. Now, you see three miracles here in verse 24 as she expresses herself. Number one, actually, he says, he brings the boy down, and what does he say? Your son is alive. 
So that's the first miracle, and that's a pretty obviously one. You know, he was dead. There was no breath in him. She was in despair. Yet what happens? God ministers to the boy, and his spirit returns to him. He, He is restored. He's risen from the dead. That's a miracle, amen. And now she had a dead son in her arms, and he went upstairs with the man of God, and she got a live one back. That's a good result, amen. And I want to encourage you, whatever's dead in your arms right now, God can breathe life back into it if you'll believe him. If you notice what she did, she had to give her her son to the man of God. We've got to give our dead thing to God and let him breathe life back into it. The second miracle was this. She says, now I know. That's a changed heart. She had a greater understanding of the things of God now. Now she knew that the God of heaven and earth was the God of Elisha. And now she knew that he was a man of God. And then she also says, what? That the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. That's the 13th. She now had a new respect for the word of God. She now had an understanding of the kingdom of God. And now she held a son in her arms that was dead and was now alive. Big problems allow us to see big miracles. Now, we know living in life that things don't always go the way we'd hoped. And, you know, sometimes dead things stay dead. And sometimes you say, well, what happens then? Well, our God is a God of new things. And he is a God of restoration. And he, we can trust him that even when things don't go our way, that he is still with us and for us. He has a hope and a future for us who belong to him. When you make right choices and you get the wrong result, when that classic human response is to feel rejected by God and punished for your sin, when we need help and we're too proud to ask for it, when we forget that nothing is impossible for God, when we come to the place where we see big problems and big mountains and big giants and we don't know how it's going to be resolved, these are the moments in crisis where calamity touches us where we need to flex our faith. And I want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through right now, I don't care how big it seems, God is bigger than your problem. and, And I say I don't care, and I don't mean that in an insensitive way, but I don't care what you hold in your arms that you think is dead right now. It ain't over till it's over. Our God is a God of miracles. He breathes life into things that were dead. He resurrects things that were dead. And if we trust him, And if we believe in him, and if we maintain our faith and trust in his goodness, I guarantee we're going to see miracles on the other side of crisis. We're going to see miracles on the other side of calamity. I want to give you an opportunity today, those of you who are listening uh, to this message, maybe you say, you know what, I've never surrendered myself to God. I believe in him. I've heard about him all my life. Maybe you grow up going to church. You, you grew up hearing about God, hearing about Jesus, but you've never given your life to him. The Bible says that we need to come to Jesus at some point to confess we're sinners and allow him to be our savior. That if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, we'd be saved. God made it so simple. You and I have to just confess our sin and receive the Savior. You say, what happens if I do that? At that moment, you become what the Bible says is born again. And your life that was old and messed up and broken and covered in sin is now washed away. And you got a clean slate and a fresh start. You say, that's an awesome thing. What does that cost? It doesn't cost us anything. It costs Jesus everything. 
He died on the cross to pay the cost for us because while we were yet sinners, he loved us and he saw us stuck and he listened to the Father and he came and he died and he rose again so that we can have newness of life. I wanna pray a prayer with you today. If you wanna accept Jesus, if you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you wanna be forgiven and know that you belong to him so that you can trust in his word and believe in the promises and expect miracles in your life, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess my sin and I ask you to be my savior. Forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I wanna welcome you to the family of God. And I wanna tell you something. You might think that's simple and that that prayer has no power to change anything, but it is us obeying the scripture. It's us confessing Jesus, confessing our sin, and it has the power to transform lives. And I want to encourage you today, from this moment forward, you belong to him. Begin to read the word, begin to pray. When things are opened up again, get in a church that preaches the Bible and, and grow in your faith. But never let go of Jesus because he is all you need. And no matter what you're going through, if it's calamity in the midst of crisis, he's bigger and he's able to breathe life into dead things and see them brought back to life. God bless you today. I want to encourage you to go to FGC web, listen to these messages, listen to the worship, have church in your home. Uh, just because we're not able to get together doesn't mean that God's not feeding us and challenging us. I want to encourage you today to continue to keep giving. God bless you. You're enabling the church to keep the staff taken care of and do ministry. And God has been very faithful to us. I want to just pray a blessing over you and your homes right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray a blessing over the people of Full Gospel Center and everyone who's listening to this message. Father, would you bless them with your goodness? Would you encourage their hearts? Would you chase away, Father, all the things that would distract us from your goodness in our life? And God, would we feel refreshed by your word? From this moment forward, Lord, would we have a hope that comes from trusting in you? I pray blessing upon relationships and finances and upon every facet of our lives according to your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you. I encourage you to share these messages. It's important you get them out to minister to other people. They're not just for us. They're to encourage people who are broken, who are hurting, who are confused right now. Hit share, send them around and let people be ministered to. God is good. We're gonna be together soon. I wanna encourage you to keep your faith until that time when we can come together again and rejoice together. God bless you and we'll see you soon.